So tonight I want to preach on this thought. How to get your stuff back. How do you get your stuff back? Let's read verse chapter 30, verse number 1. The Bible said it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziglag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziglag, and smitten Ziglag and burned it with fire, and had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them all away and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city. And behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and all the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives. Ahinoam, the Jezreelite, and Abigail, the wife of Nabal, the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. Now, let's re- leave there, jump over to verse 18. Verse 17, And David smote them from the twilight into the evening of the, thir- of the next day. And there escaped not a young man of them, save four hundred young men, which rode upon camels and fled. And David, and I want you to say these next two words with me, and David recovered all. He recovered it all. And the Bible said that the, all that the Malachites had carried away, and David rescued his two wives, and there was nothing lacking to them, neither small nor great, neither sons nor daughters, neither spoil nor anything that they had taken to them. David, then read it with me, recovered. Somebody said, how much did he get back? Got it all back. Got every bit of it back. Now jump down, if you will, verse 24. And the Bible said this, For who will hearken unto you in this matter? But as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by thee. Say it with me. Stuff. Stuff. The Bible said they shall part alike. How to get you stuff back. Let's pray. Father, would you bless your word and speak to our hearts tonight, please? And on this Monday night, this good crowd of people have gathered together here. I pray you'd help us. Touch us tonight and help us, please, in this service. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. You can be seated. You know, robberies and home invasions are just the new norm of our day. I read recently that that, every, uh, that in the United States of America, every 18 seconds in America, that there's a robbery that takes place somewhere in our nation. Now, you can do the math, and what that means is that there are over 200 robberies uh, per hour, over 4,800 burglaries and robberies a day. This article went on to say that the average time that most burglaries take place is between the hours of 10 a.m. and 3 p.m. The average dollar amount taken per burglary is a whopping $2,251. And here's the kicker, only 13.6% of all burglaries result in an arrest. You know, there are probably people sitting right here tonight. You went home after church or maybe after a vacation or just a night out with your family, got home, found the door kicked in, and maybe your drawers turned upside down, stuff thrown out in the floor, and you know you've had the unpleasant experience of being robbed by somebody. 
We have a young family in our church recently that they, uh, it's a man, his wife, and they have two children, and they left to go off to work, carried his kids to school, went off to work, came home. Somebody had kicked the door in, the side door of the house, went in, and I mean just totally ransacked the whole house. I went to see him not long after that, and I mean the dog was just barking his head off. And when I was talking to the man, he said, Preacher, I'm sorry about the dog. But he said, ever since that, that took place, our dog's been a nervous wreck. Said, so we got our dog on nerve medicine now because he is a nervous wreck because of what happened. Well, in our text tonight, what we read about is a robbery of all robberies. Because this robbery went beyond just a plain robbery. It actually went into arsony and also kidnapping. That's right. The Bible tells us here in this text that David and his men, 600 of them, have been out on military maneuvers. They've been out, and by the way, they almost had to fight a battle. But they were providentially spared by God from having to fight a battle. So they're on their way back home. I can see these men as they're getting closer to home. They probably think about, man, it sure is going to be good to sleep in our bed tonight. It sure is going to be good to have a home-cooked meal. I can't wait to hug my babies. I can't wait to see my wife. I can see these old boys. They're excited about getting home. So they top the hill and start down the road to the valley to where the city of Ziklag was. And the Bible said that when they get there, they cannot believe their eyes. Not only has their city been burnt to the ground. I mean, that's bad enough. I mean, for you find your home just literally just burnt to the ground. And not only have they found that their livestock, all their chickens and and all their goats and and all their bullocks and all that stuff's been, been taken away, but to add insult to injury, as we read further, we find that not only have their homes been destroyed and their livestock been uh, been carried off, but the Bible said that their families have been kidnapped as well. Maybe you kind of understand why we read there in verse 4 that the Bible said that the people lifted up their voice and wept till they had no more power to weep. I mean, what a sad situation this is for David and for his men. Now, you probably sitting there and say, you know something, preacher, we hate that for David. Boy, that's sad that he's lost everything. But what in the world does that have to do with us? Well, the truth of the matter is, I think tonight some of us sitting right here in this building have been robbed and we're not even aware of it. We have been stolen from and we aren't even conscious of what's been taken from us. You know, there's a verse in our Bible talking about the devil that says this, that the thief cometh not but for to kill and to steal and to destroy. And you know something? We've got an adversary tonight. And I think the devil has come in and perhaps stolen things from us, important things from us, and many of us sit in this room tonight and we aren't even aware of what's been taken from us. I mean, here's David. I mean, man, one moment he's on top of the world. And the very next moment he comes home, finds out that his finances have been tanked, his friends have turned, and his family has been taken. Talk about going from the from the, the heights of the mountaintop to the lowest of the valley. David is now there. And there's people that's sitting in this room tonight. You've been stolen and you're not even aware of what has been taken from you tonight. Let me just kind of, if I can, bring this home. Then I got three things to say and we'll have prayer and we'll go. Let me just say tonight that perhaps there's some people in this room tonight and maybe the adversary 
just like these Amalekites, Amalek. Amalek in the Bible is a type of the flesh. One of the first enemies that Israel had to face when they left Egypt was Amalek. Amalek always attacked from behind. It was a picture of the flesh, always catching it from behind at a weak moment. And the Bible said here in our text that these Amalekites have come and they've literally taken everything that was precious to David and to his men. I think about things that have been stolen from us. That are very precious. Maybe there's somebody sitting in this room tonight and the adversary has stolen your children from you. You know, I find this to be true in our church all the time. People come up to me and talk to me about how their children are breaking their heart. How their children were brought up one way and their children are now living another way. Don't even resemble uh, the people that lived in their house. And maybe I'm speaking to somebody in this room tonight and maybe the devil, maybe the adversary has stolen your children. Just like the Amalekites had taken David's children and the men's children away from them. Maybe there's somebody in this room tonight and your children aren't at all living in such a way that they've been brought up to live. Maybe they're off tonight out in a world of sin. Maybe they've turned their back on the raising and turned their back on the Bible and turned their back on mom and daddy's religion. And they're out here in the world living in a wicked and ungodly manner. And maybe you sit here tonight and say, preach, I'd get anything, get anything if I could get my children back again. Maybe your children's been stolen from you. Maybe your testimony has been stolen from you. You know, if there's one thing all of us ought to strive to do in these last days is to have a good testimony. Your testimony is what this world thinks about you. Hey, listen to me. Our character is what God knows about us, but our testimony is what others think about us. You know, we all ought to strive to have a good testimony. But maybe there's somebody in here, and maybe you used to have a good testimony. But now you, you're no different than the, the average person you work with. You tell the same old dirty jokes, use the same old four-letter words, go the same old places they go to, and maybe little by little, the adversary, the devil, has stolen your testimony away from you. Maybe tonight it's your joy that's been taken from you. You know, the outward obvious consequence of being saved ought to be joy. I mean, we sang a moment ago about the old account getting settled. I mean, man, our record was large and growing larger every day. But aren't you glad Jesus stepped up and paid the debt for you and paid the debt for me? And the obvious consequence of that ought to be joy in our hearts. But you know, I'm telling you, these are some of the most joyless days amongst the people of God I've ever seen in my life. It's almost like we walk around with a tombstone under one arm and a coffin under the other arm and look at a world that's up to their eyeballs and problems and say, hey... Y'all want some of this? Man, they don't want none of that. They already up their eyeballs in trouble. I mean, what they ought to see is a child of God that's full of the joy of Jesus in their heart, and it's made a difference in the way that you and I live. Maybe your joy has been stolen from you. Hey, maybe it's this. Maybe it's your tears that's been stolen from you. Remember when you used to pray and weep over lost souls? I mean, remember when you thought about somebody in your family dying and going to hell? And I mean, you'd just make your way to the altar. I remember, I pastored two churches in my life. The one I'm at now, 
for 22 years and the one I was at prior to that to 10 years. And our, and our car, carpet in that, in our first church was a burgundy carpet. It was, a, it was kind of a deep, dark burgundy carpet. And I remember one man, his name was Tony in our church in particular, that, that Tony got saved. Him and his wife both got saved. They'd lived a, a wicked life, a rough life, but they both come to church and they got saved. And Tony got a burden for his mama, for his daddy. And he had three or four brothers. And I can remember, preacher, I can remember old Tony coming up there and getting on the altar. And when he would get up off the altar, there'd be spots in the carpet. I mean, spots like that where the tears would just run down his face as he thought about his mom and his daddy dying and going to hell. You know something? We don't see a whole lot of that no more. Somebody said the church of the last days is full of technology, but it's empty of tears. And maybe the, our tears have been stolen from us. The ability to weep over lost souls. Maybe that burden that we used to have. Why, it wasn't nothing, man. Our pockets were full of tracks. You ladies had your purse full of tracks. And I mean, everywhere you went, you was giving them out, laying them down for people to, leave, uh, to read and uh, had a burden for lost people, man, inviting people to church right and left, telling you'd come by and pick them up in your car and take them out to get a cheeseburger at McDonald's after service was over. Now, I mean, man, we were after lost people. We were hunting lost people. We were concerned about lost people. And now in these days, seem like we've just settled down. And just forgot about all that. Maybe some, maybe, maybe some people say, well, preacher, you don't understand. I've outgrown that. Friend, if you've outgrown that, you backslid on God. Because Jesus is all about getting people saved. But the devil has come. The adversary has come. And he's stolen those things away from us. What has he stolen from you? Maybe it's your excitement about the things of God. Maybe your attitude this week was, oh, my Lord, we're having revival. It's not, oh, Lord, we're having revival. It's, oh, Lord, we're having revival. And it just can't be three days. It's got to be five days. And I mean, man, maybe you're just, maybe you're just so dreading this. Maybe your excitement has been stolen from you. You know, here, here's, here's what revival is all about. Watch this now. Revival is getting back. What's been taken from you? Listen to this. There's a verse over in Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to preach my message in a minute. Ephesians 4 verse 27, it says this, Neither give place to the devil. Now you look it up in your Strong's Concordance, but the word place is the word tapas. We get our English word topography from that. And what that verse is teaching us, man, don't give ground to the devil. You know, when we get saved by the grace of God, God, Jesus, comes to live in our heart. And when he comes in, he runs the devil out. Your heart, my heart, is not a duplex where Jesus can live on one side and the devil can live on the other side. The Bible said no man can serve two masters. And when Jesus comes in, he runs the devil out of our life. And that's the reason that there's so much excitement and so much joy. I mean, the feelings of the, of the, of the cleanliness that you feel about yourself and Man, understanding that all of your past is gone and you'll never have to stand and give an account to God for it. And it's just got great joy and excitement and, and it just bubbles up. And the preacher says, hey, anybody got a testimony? Boom, you're the first one up. You've got to tell people what the Lord has done for you. But little by little by little, we start giving ground back to the devil again. Little by little, he, 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 he tries to maneuver himself back into our life. And the first thing you know, he gets a foothold in our life. And then little by little, 
When we give Him a place, He starts using that place. The Bible word stronghold. He starts using that stronghold to attack us in other areas. And He begins to take things from us. Our joy, our burden, our tears, our excitement, uh, our testimony, our children. He starts taking those things away from us. And what revival is about is regaining that ground that we've surrendered to the devil. You ever seen a bunch of kids before? Now stay with me. You ever seen a bunch of kids? Y'all probably do this, send the kids off to camp summertime or y'all have a camp or whatever. And when you, when they, when those kids, before they go off, it's like they're sitting in the back of the church. They ain't paying no attention to what's going on. I mean, man, I mean, they're just out of it. They're back there with their phones. You know, they're texting. They're playing games during church on their phones. I mean, not at all interested. And then they go off to camp for a week. And they come back. And the first thing you know, the next week, they're sitting on the front row. They've got composition books. They're sitting up listening to the preacher. They're taking notes. Somebody said, what in the world has happened to them? I'll tell you what happened during that week of camp. They took back ground. They took back territory that they surrendered to the devil. That's how we all got. That's what revival's about. That's the reason the preacher said, hey, let's have a week-long revival because this is an attack on Satan. This is taking ground back from him that we've surrendered to him. Getting that testimony back. Getting the burden. Getting the joy. Getting the excitement. Getting the tears. That's what these services are about. Hey, we're going to, this, this week, we're going to take back some ground that we've surrendered to the devil. Or if I could say it like this, we're going to get some of our stuff back. Because that's what this text is about. It's about David and his men getting their stuff back. Why, the Bible said there in verse number 24, the Bible called everything that they'd lost. The Bible called it, country word, stuff. And the Bible said in two verses that David and his men recovered all, indicating they recovered all their stuff. Can I ask you a question tonight? Want to get your stuff back? Want to get that joy back? Want to get the tears, the burden, man, the the testimony? Won't get all that stuff back again? Well, let me show you how David and his men did it in our text tonight, and I'll be through. It's really a very simple process to getting your stuff back. First of all, I see David, look in this text now, I see David, number one, encouraging himself. Look, if you will, now in verse number six, the Bible said that these people were greatly distressed. And they spake of stoning him. They spake of stoning David. Maybe I need to tell you something that I haven't told you yet. And that's this. The reason they're in this, this pickle, the reason they're in this trouble that they're in, is because David has backslid on God. That's right. David has made some bad choices. Remember, David has been, most of his life up to this point, has been running from King Saul. King Saul was insanely jealous of David. When David killed Goliath, you remember when David killed Goliath? I mean, man, the number one song playing on all the stations in the land of Israel was the people singing, Saul has slain his thousands. 
and David is ten thousand. I'm not much of a singer. But that was the number one song playing on all the radio stations in Israel. I mean, every chariot, two camel paired chariot with all the buttons was playing on their radio. That was the number one song in the land of Israel. Saul slain his thousand. David is ten thousand. Man, when Saul heard that, man, he was so mad. I mean, down at Walmart, the number one selling toy was G.I. David dolls. And every boy was in the backyard playing David and Goliath. I mean, man, David rose to instant popularity in the eyes of the people of Israel. Saul didn't like it. You know what Saul tried to do? Tried to kill him. I mean, man, he threw javelins at him. He attacked the house where he was staying at. And he hunted him from place to place and place. And David finally, after years of running from Saul, finally says, You know something? One of these days, Saul's going to get me. I got nothing better to do than to turn. And he went down and joined the Philistines. The very people that he killed Goliath, their very people, David, in a time of great lapse of faith, turned his... By the way, God had kept him safe that far. God could continue to look after him. But David got to thinking to himself, you know, Saul's going to get me one of these days. I'm going to go down and join. So he found himself living in a place God never intended for him to live. Fellowshipping with a people that God never intended for him to fellowship with. David had messed his life up. In fact, now I told you he was going out to fight a battle. Guess who he was going to fight against? His own people. And God stepped in and intervened providentially to keep David from having to fight that battle against his own people. I mean, David's back set on God. The reason he's in this mess is because he's made some bad decisions. Maybe that explains why the people spake him, stoning him. They knew what David had done. But I like what verse number 6 says. Look at the end of verse 6. But David encouraged himself. In the Lord his God. Thank God for the Bible butts. David's in trouble. These people are wanting to kill him. Just a few minutes ago, they was going to fight the battles for him. Now they're here. The, the babies is gone. The wives are gone. The dogs and the chickens are gone. The houses have been burnt down. Now they're mad. They're wanting to kill David. So David got away from that. He dismissed himself from all of that negativity. And he got by himself. And he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You know what I think, preacher, what I think he probably did? He just got back to thinking. Started thinking about how that in times past, God had delivered him from from messes that he had made. From things that he found himself in. How that God had taken care of him and brought him out of those messes. I, I probably, he probably thought about that time he was watching his daddy's sheep and out come this bear out of the thicket and bam, David went down there and grabbed the bear by the beard and killed that old bear. And he got to thinking, you know, God gave me the victory over that bear. He probably got to thinking about that time he's watching his daddy's sheep and a lion roared against him and, and God gave him the victory over the lion. He probably got to thinking about that day in the valley of Elah when all of the men of Israel on this side hid out. Out there stood Goliath in the middle of that valley cussing dirt, kicking dirt, throwing rocks, cussing God. And God, David went down to the valley and God gave him the victory. And he probably started thinking, you know something? God hadn't changed. God's still on the throne. That God 
back then that gave me the victory back then is still the God that can give me the victory tonight. And what I'm trying to say is tonight, listen, if you've lost some of your stuff, if you've let the adversary, if you've given ground to the devil, understand one thing. Our God is still on the throne. And our God can and will give you back your stuff again. Listen, can I tell you this? I don't think God's mad at you tonight. I mean, we may stray away from God, but that don't cause God to hate us. But aren't you glad God's not mad at you? He's mad about you. God loves you. God cares about you. God wants to help you. Maybe in a time of, of a, a great weakness, you've made some bad decisions. Maybe in a time of, of a lapse of faith. Maybe you've done some things you shouldn't have done. But I just want to tell you, there's a God in heaven. Listen, He's not got old. He's not frail. He's not drinking Maylops, chewing his fingernails off up to his elbows on tagament. No, sir. Our God's just as fresh and new as He's always been. And that God that's blessed you in the past is still the God that can do it again tonight. Let me just stop and say tonight that God can restore what the locusts have eaten. God can replace what the thief has taken. God can repair what's been broken in your life. God can rebuild that which has been destroyed. God can reunite that which has been divided. God can recover and redeem and refresh and renew and return and revive that which has been stolen from you. Be encouraged tonight. God can do it again. We find David, number one, encouraging. What's the first step? Getting your stuff back. Just be encouraged. God wants you to have your stuff back. God wants to give you your stuff back. David encouraging. Number two, looking again in our text. Look at verse seven. Verse eight. Not only do we see David encouraging, but number two, we see David inquiring. What is it the old saying is? Inquiring minds want to know. Well, the Bible said after David got by himself and just started encouraging himself in the Lord. The Bible said in verse 7, after a time of encouragement, getting away from the negativity. But we all need to unplug from negativity. We all need to get away. Hey, don't hang around people that are critical. That stuff, you lay down with the dogs, you're going to get up with the fleas. Is that a North Carolina saying or do y'all say that in Tennessee as well? I mean, you get around that crowd. That negativity is going to rub off on you. David got away from all that. He encouraged himself. Man, he's feeling better. So what's he going to do now? Now he's going to start praying again. Look at verse 7. The Bible said in verse 7, And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray thee, bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought thither the ephod to David. And David, what's the next word? He inquired. He inquired. At the Lord. You know what he's doing now? Now he's talking to God again. Amen. I mean, man, he's got serious. He's lost his stuff. But he knows that only God can give him his stuff back. And he starts talking to God again. Now, wait a minute. You check me out on this. But I, I just started in chapter 30. And I started going back. Chapter 29, 28, 27. Because I wanted to find out in the Bible when is the last time that David inquired of the Lord. And I had to go all the way back to chapter 23 before we find David once again inquiring at the Lord. Now, I've got a Schofield Bible. I don't know what kinds you've got. But if you'll look at the top of the page, how many of y'all have a Schofield Bible? Anybody in here? If you don't have one, you're going to have to trust me. 
We're in a mess. But anyway, at the top of the page, 1 Samuel 30, in my Schofield Bible, it has 1056 B.C. So it's 1056 years before the coming of Christ. Okay? But if you were to go back to chapter 23, the last time that David inquired of the Lord, you'll find out that above that, he's got the year 1062. So what that means is David's been six years without inquiring of the Lord. I mean, as far as the record of the Scripture is concerned, we don't find him anywhere in those chapters inquiring at God. But now he's lost his stuff. Man, he's got serious about it. He wants to get it back. And you know something? He needs some directions. He needs some answers from God. Could I encourage you this week? I I don't know how y'all do things around here. And however y'all do them is the right way. Because I'm just a visitor this week. But I want to encourage you when God speaks to your heart this week. Why don't you get on the altar and inquire the Lord? This altar for God's people. This ought not be a strange place. Can I tell you something that bothers me, preacher? What bothers me is not people that come to the altar every service. It's those people that don't ever come to the altar. That's what bothers me. I mean, if you can sit in the church for 25 years and never make a trip to the altar, something's wrong with either the preacher or something's wrong with you one. And I don't think it's wrong with the preacher. Because, man, I tell you, this altar is a place we meet with God. This altar is a place that we come and we get directions from the Lord. This altar is a place we come and, and we seek God's face. And I just wonder today, sitting in this service, I wonder tonight, maybe it's been a while since you really inquired at the Lord. Maybe it's time, once again, you start seeking God. I'm talking about seeking His face. I'm talking about getting serious. I'm afraid that we do too much stuff out of habit and not out of heart. I'm afraid that we do too much stuff out of habit, out of routine, and not because our heart's in it. David, man, poured his heart out to God. He's inquiring at the Lord. And then watch this and I'm done. Not only do we find David encouraging and find David inquiring, but number three, we find David engaging. What do I mean by that? Well, look at verse 7. David says to verse 8, David, in his part of his inquiring, he's seeking direction. And he says, shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, God answered him, pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them. And without fail, recover all. But did you notice in our text, after God said, David, hey, you're going to get it all back. Go after him. You're going to get it all back. But did you notice still that David had to fight for it? I mean, it just wasn't handed, it just wasn't handed to him on a platter. You know, I think we want to go out and just do whatever we want to do and just kind of strut back into church, walk down the altar and say to God, all right, God, give me back everything I have before I left. Don't work like that, friend. No, the Bible said that David went down. He found the enemy. And the Bible said that he engaged them in warfare. He had to fight to get his stuff back. And somebody said, did he get it back? Look at verse 18. He recovered. Verse 18, and David recovered all that the Amalekites had carried away. David rescued his two wives. Don't get hung up there on that. 
two wives. Don't get hung up. Somebody asked me the other day, said, Preacher, where in the world, in the Bible, does it say that a man can't have uh, two wives? I said, man, that is easy. Matthew 6, 24, no man can serve two masters. It's in the King James. That's very obvious. So don't get hung up on that. But I tell you what, <laughs> it may not have been right, but he got them back. Yes, sir. And not only did he get that back, but he got his children back. He got his cows back. He got everything that he lost, everything they had stolen. David got it back. And then if you read in this text, he even got more than they attacked. Aren't you glad we serve the God of much more? I don't know what you need tonight, but I'll tell you what, God can give you that and more. That's the God that you and I serve. But now, I'm done, but let's flip the coins on this. What if David would have been like most of us? Do you know what most of us would have probably said? Well, it's gone. I might as well get used to this. This is just the way it's going to be. I'm never going to see my children again. I'm never going to see my wife again. I petted my dog for the last time. Got the egg, the last egg from the chickens. Milked the cow for the last time. Eat the last butter. It's gold. Ain't nothing I can do about it. Might as well just get used to it. Might as well just accept it. This is the way things are going to be. Isn't that the way most Baptists are? Well, ain't nothing I can do about it. I know my children ain't living right, but ain't nothing I can do about it. Well, I know I don't have my joy like I used to have. I know I don't have the burden over souls like I used to have, but man, you know, it's the last days. I mean, this is the way it's going to be. And we just accept it. This is the way it's got to be. Can I tell you something? I'm glad David didn't have that attitude. Aren't you glad David said, man, they may have took it, but bless God, I got a God big enough to give me the power to get it back. And he went after it. I tell you this, don't tell nobody. Of course, y'all don't know nobody much I know anyway. But I'm telling you, we got a man in our church, and he's a good man. He's a soul winner. We have a we have a bus ministry, uh, a pretty a pretty large bus ministry. And this man, this man has usually has always has the top bus route. I mean, a good man. He's a good man. I told him this year. I said, man, we want to baptize 300 this year. He said, preacher, put me down for 100. I'm telling, he's a good man. His wife's a sweet girl. I mean, a, a good family. Hadn't been too long ago, preacher, they called me and said, uh, we need to come talk to you. I said, okay. And they come sat down, and I mean, you could their eyes were swollen. I could tell they'd been crying. I said, what in the world? What in the world is wrong? You know, you just imagine everything. And he said, preacher, our son come home from school the other day and informed us that he's a homosexual. And I mean, they're just, they're just destroyed over that. And by the way, the boy sits on the front row of our church and I think he's doing better. He's tried to kill himself several times. I mean, they've really had a battle with that boy. It's just been terrible. That boy's took them to hell and back. Hospitals, mental wards. I mean, it's just been, but every Sunday morning they're sitting right there on the front row. But, uh, we went out and eat not long ago. Right when they were right in the throes of it. He seems to be turning the corner a little bit now. But right when they were in the middle of that battle, he called me and he said, Preacher, can I carry you out for lunch? I just, I gotta, I gotta talk to you. And we went and sat down and he was crying. And he said, Preacher, 
my wife said, we might as well just get used to it. This is the way it's going to be. And I looked at him, and don't be mad at me. And if you are, if you'll come up to me after church and apologize, I forgive you. (laughs) But I looked back at him, and I said, Brother, over my dead body, I'd accept that. I said, man, I I told him, I said, I'll start fasting with you. We'll go to God in prayer. We'll start fasting. We'll start seeking the face of God in the behalf of that boy. And we did, and God has been moving in ways in that young man's life that I can see a change coming about in his life. But man, we don't have to accept that. You say, preacher, it's the last days. I know it is. But God's still God, ain't He? I mean, God's still on the throne. Amen. Hey, I know it's a la- I know it's the bottom of the ninth. It's two outs, two strikes on the hitter. I know, I get it. But I tell you what, friend, as long as God's alive, nothing's impossible. And we just got to get over that mentality. Well, I might as well just accept it. It's just the way it's going to be. Aren't you glad David teaches us from the Bible that we serve a God that can give us back our stuff and more? <laughs>